welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. Good to see you. Sit down. Have a seat. I get the privilege of preaching with tea, so you've got to wait till after. So I, I drink tea while I preach. As we say at our building, because we're not allowed to have coffee and stuff in there, it's coloured water, because we're uh, not allowed to bring stuff into the auditorium. So I just get to sip on it in my Alabama cup. Thanks, guys. John, I want to talk to you after about youth camp. I'm on a mandate to come up here and talk to you about bringing you guys down to the regional, down, yeah, down, up, up to the regional camp. Everything's south for me, you know. God always travels southward, so, because Alabama's in the south, and it will rise again. <laughs> it's a miracle we are married, because my people killed her people, and her people burned our cities to the ground. We're not, we're not, we're not bitter and twisted, we're just going to take over one day, so, anyway. <laughs> I've got to tell you a story about her, though, Ruth. You talk about going out and talking uh, in places. We celebrated, um, celebrated long-term staff recently, and we do that kind of thing, and, and some of them were 16 years on staff, some 17-plus. And so we told some anecdotal stories about fun things that happened. So our center is right there in Charlestown, um, not our auditorium, but our center where we do things out of. And, uh, and so we will, we will take chocolates or gifts or something on Christmas and we send the staff out going, just go bless all the businesses around and see what door God opens. And so off they go in pairs or two and they're knocking on doors and they're going into businesses and, hi, we're from C3 Church Victory, you know, the center up there, the Victory Center. Just want to say Merry Christmas, bless you at this time. If the door opens, pray for them. So Janet went out with one of the other pastors and off they headed down the Pacific Highway and they were taking turns, Janet going that door, and Karen had gone the next one, come back out, next one, next one. So Karen goes, she looks and says, I'm going in that one because the next one is naughty and nice. Now those of you that laughed have probably been there because you know what it is. Adult toys. Right? So Janet just boldly walks into naughty and nice, doesn't she? Karen comes out, no Janet. And she goes, I wonder where Janet is. She might be at the next one. So she goes and peeks in the next one. Janet's not there. So she goes and gives a chocolate. Comes back out again. No, Janet. Where's Janet? So she, maybe she's in the next one. Goes and looks in the next one. Janet's not there. She starts to get concerned. And then she starts thinking, surely she's not shopping and naughty and nice. And so she goes back to naughty and nice. And sure enough, Janet is still in naughty and nice. And, and she said, just boldly talk about prodigal. The owner is a prodigal, grew up as a Greek Orthodox and hasn't been walking with God. And Janet walks in, she goes, I don't care if it's naughty and nice, I don't care if it's a whore house, I don't care what it is, I'm going to bless them and get their attention because they're used to getting cursed by Christians. And so she blessed him, opened the door to pray for him and invite him to church. How good is that? So we're going to stop at naughty and nice on the way home. No, no, that's not true, so... That's just, you know, you should go anywhere and everywhere. I've heard of churches going in brothels and cleaning their bathrooms while the girls are having a break, you know, and stuff like that. Go figure. So it's good to be with you. How many years have we been coming? Three, four, whatever. I don't like the term overseer. We need a new term. 
only thing I will accept on that is I'm older than you. Did you refer to me when you said you older people? I hope not. I'm not that far ahead of you. No, this shows what we celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary in January, and our eldest grandchild will be 13 next week. Lord have mercy. We thought we got out of grandchildren stuff. I mean, out of teenage stuff. And it's like you heard what James Dobson said. When your daughter turns 12, put her in a barrel and feed her through the peephole. When she turns 13, plug up the peephole. Teenagers, you've had four of them. You need a medal. And they're all in the house of God. How good is that? That's awesome because these guys, we love hanging out with them. They're legends. And it's just watching your family is, is so, I won't use the word sweet. That's not a word I use. You know, it just kind of doesn't fit for me. But it's awesome to watch how you do family, how you do life. But also, you know, you guys just committed to the call of God. Nothing kind of gets you off that track. Your family's committed to it. And you do it with passion. I, I think you're a model. You're an inspiration to, to us and a lot of people. And should be to you guys. I think you should give your pastors a hand. They're incredible. Um, and, uh, you know, we're going to get you guys up there. We haven't had you up there with us. I said to one of my campus pastors, call Chris and Ruth and get them up here for a marriage thing. Because we try to do stuff on marriage every year also. And he hadn't done it yet. I'm going to have to smack him when I get home and see. He's younger than me, but I did the uh, T-bar on him twice in front of church he just didn't get it this the first do you guys remember that with darren you remember the t-bar can we demonstrate with you simon no okay it's a wrestling move i used to wrestle not not that tv rubbish that's rubbish that's acting um i did the real stuff you know with the real tight tights on you put the sock in the front and away you go and uh the olympic stuff i did i was city champion in wrestling but i had the, it was it was pretty even it's not like rugby everybody was my size so it was down to who wanted it the most in the end. So, yeah, we did the T-bar on Darren down the front of church just to make him do air swimming and stuff like that. He's tall. He's big. He's a basketballer. So. Hey, preaching on Jacob out of Genesis. That's an awesome series. But i got a confession to make, though. In, in more than 40 years of preaching, I have never preached on Jacob. In 40 years of preaching. Never preached on the life of this guy. It's true. It's true. Because he's not the kind of person I'd relate to. I don't know what they got up there. Not yet. Yeah, I wonder which one he'd look like. But anyway, he's not the kind of person I'd kind of relate to. I have to be careful here. In this day where political correctness takes place and everything goes out on air, I've got to be careful what I say. So I'm just going to tell you this. He was a mama's boy. He was a homeboy. You know, his brother would go out hunting and on the land, and he was playing dress-ups. And that's just not the kind of life I grew up with and things. I mean, where I grew up, me and my brothers in the neighborhood with the other boys in the neighborhood played rocks and balls. You know what that means? And darts. You know what that meant? We would make up a gun to shoot darts at each other and we would throw golf balls and rocks at each other and see who wins. And who wins is the one left standing. Now, that's the kind of guy. I mean, Chris is, Chris is kind of like Esau, the older guy. Get me out on the land. I want to hunt. I want to live on the land. I want to watch birds. You're going to do that soon, aren't you? Right. That's all right. That's all right. But Jacob, I just, yeah, I can just picture Jacob at home with mama learning to cook lentil stew. It's like, yeah, nah. I'll do the Aussie thing. Yeah, nah. It's just, he does, I don't warm to Jacob at all. And I know, I know, he's one of the fathers of Israel, but they can claim him. I don't. Anyway, but in, listen to what Genesis 25 says about Jacob and Esau. Genesis 25, verse 27. I think we got it. 
So you can either follow me. Ah, beautiful. You can either follow me in your analog Bible. You can look on the screen or you can use a digital. Whichever one. Our, our young adults pastor calls this analog. He loves the paper in his hand still. And you can turn to Genesis 25 and leave it open. Listen to what it says. As the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful, skillful hunter. Now, I hope there's no greenies here, but I do hunt. People said, do you eat them? Does that justify shooting something? You know, it's like, so I'm a cannibal. I'll shoot you and eat you. That justifies it. It's like, I am a hunter. I don't, anyway, it's just, yeah, yeah, true southerner. He was an outdoorsman. There's Chris right there. But look at Jacob. But Jacob had a quiet temperament. You know what it says in the, in the New King James? He was a mild man. I, I guarantee you, he got manicures. He preferred to stay at home. The other, other versions said he, he, he kept among the tents. Like, all right. And, and it gets even more interesting as you read about his life, which I did this week. You're going to like him even, dislike him even more when you read about this guy. It made me dislike him even more because, I mean, this guy is narcissistic. He's incredibly self-absorbed. So much so, he cheated his older brother twice. Now, i got an older brother. If I cheated him once... I was in trouble. I mean, I was in big trouble. This guy cheats his older brother twice. He deceives his father, does this scheme with his mother to deceive his father. I mean, talk about a mama's boy. It does say earlier, though, that Rachel loved Jacob. Isaac loved Esau. Now, what does that say to you? There's some problems in the family to begin with. That's what it says to you. I'll come back to that a little bit later. But then he deceives his father-in-law. And I mean, this guy's a con man. He's a coward. He's a liar. And, and one of the meanings of his name, anybody here named Jacob? Good. I can let it fly. One of the meanings of Jacob can mean, may God protect. But in this context, it literally means he grabs the heel. Now, you know what that means? He grabs the heel because he's going to put himself first. He's going to pull back and he's going to go ahead, which means he supplants. Jacob means he supplants. He takes the place of. He is a deceiver. So you have to watch it when people bring their kid for baby dedication. What's his name? Jacob. Yeah, I'm going to prophesy deception. No, I'm not going to do that. I like what uh, Strasner said in his book about Jacob. So Jacob was a lying son, a stealing brother, a cheating husband, a selfish father, and a mudslinging son-in-law. Not much to be impressed with. So we can just kind of close the book and go have coffee, right? Sermon's over. True? Can we do that? No. All right. He sounds like the kind of guy where I grew up, you'd take him out back of the woodshed and you'd teach him a few lessons. In other words, we'd say this in Alabama, I'd beat him like a red-headed stepchild. <laughs> you never heard that? That's pretty common. You're not red-headed, are you? What, honey? What? Don't throw your shoe at me. She's been known to throw her shoe at me while I preach. Literally. All I said was, when women get older, they have hair in places that they never used to have. And she threw a shoe at me. Why would you throw a shoe? It was Mother's Day. Why would you do that? Anyway. So, no, no, don't. That thing's got studs on it. So, Chris, what kind of life lessons can we get out of this guy? I thought of three. Kind of tongue-in-cheek, I thought of three. And the first one is this. Life lesson number one, always carry breath mints. Because... He gave the kiss that made him cry. Have you ever read that? Genesis 29, 11? Let's put it up. Then, then Jacob kissed Rachel and he wept aloud. What kind of man is this? Like, 
First life lesson, carry breath mints when you have your first smack. And I was like, yeah, all right. Second life lesson. Now, you know this one. What comes around goes around. The trickster has been tricked. Because in Genesis 29, 25, it says, but when Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah. Now, I, I just picture this. Like, how drunk was the guy? He loves one woman, but the woman he went to bed with that night after his reception and wakes up is not the woman. Like how drunk was he? He must have been off his face. Either that, or he was blind as a bat. I don't think during that she would have been veiled. I think they're allowed to take the veil off during that, Ruth. Come on, don't, don't spiritualize it. The guy was drunk. It was a, you know how they party in the Middle East around weddings? They go for seven days. The guy was off his face. But imagine that. You wake up the next morning going, it's not her. It's her ugly sister. And he goes back to his father-in-law and said, you tricked me. How could you do that? He worked seven years for that woman only to get the ugly one. The trickster was tricked, right? So we could learn lessons on that. You trick your brother, you're going to be in trouble. Or the last life lesson I kind of get out of this is this. Hey, big brother. Big brother is after you. I got a big brother, and I'm telling you, you got to be careful what you do to your older brother. Is that right, Luke? Are you listening? Did Hudson ever kind of thump you? Yeah, he beat you like a red-headed stepchild? Okay, that's a good thing. That's what big brothers are for. I had a younger brother, so I, what came around to me, I got to give around to the other one, right? Problem was, they're both bigger than me. But here's the deal, Genesis 27:41. Watch this, lovely family. From that time on, Esau hated Jacob because their father had given him the blessing. And Esau began to scheme, I will soon be mourning my father's death. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Wow. And what about Genesis 32, 6 and 7? After delivering the message, the messengers returned to Jacob and reported, We met your brother Esau and he's already on his way to meet with you with an army of 400 men. He's not just going to kill you. He's going to dissect you. Jacob was terrified at the news. So you could kind of think the only lesson to learn out of Jacob is don't be like him. Right? But the truth is there's a larger plan at play here. I think Jacob is not the primary character in this episode. This is my opinion with my good Baptist education. All right? When you step back and you zoom out and you take a macro view of this whole story, I think you'll see that God is the main individual we should focus on, not Jacob. And there's reasons. Because when we do that, we're going to see some lessons that are incredible and they're relevant even for us today. And a lot of people go directly to chapter 28 where Jacob has this, you know, he has the vision, he's at Bethel or he names it Bethel and he has the vision of the ladder from heaven to earth, angels going up and down on the ladder and, and God is at the top of this ladder and people camp on that. Oh, we need the house of heaven and the door open and angels coming and going. I kind of like to prefer to camp on verses 13 to 15. And this is where I see the best life lesson here is this. God's purposes are higher than our failures. Don't miss that. This to me is a great life lesson. God's purposes for my life are far greater and higher than my own failures. Because in, in chapter 28, I'm going to start reading at verse 13. You can open your Bible and stay there. It'll come on the screen. Just verse 13 to start with, and behold. In other words, take a good look. The Lord stood above this ladder and he said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac, 
the land on which you lie, I will give you and your descendants. Now, this guy has just been deceptive at the highest degree, and God talks to him. Isn't that amazing? God still talks to sinners. He talked to me when I was a sinner. He called me when I was a sinner. In essence, he's saying to Jacob, this is your heritage. I have got a plan for you, even though that plan involves flawed human beings. Like Abraham, your grandfather, and Isaac, your father. Here's the deal. God never made perfection the qualification for being part of his purpose. True? And thank God that's still true today because he has a plan for your life, he has a plan for my life, and he doesn't require us to be faultless. If that were the case, none of us would ever qualify. However, however, he does want us to acknowledge that he does have a plan for our lives and he has passed it on down through the line, either it be from parents, mentors, pastors, leaders, or whoever, we've got a heritage to follow in. It doesn't just appear with us. We are walking in the footsteps of people who have gone before us. And, and, and they've left us a legacy. And God calls us to carry that legacy on. Listen, he's not just giving a promise here. He's also giving a mandate. This is your trust. I will trust you. Janet had a revelation. You know how... Ooh, I shouldn't say this. Only a few pastors here. But anyway, I'll say it to the pastor. You know how church people can be. They come and go. It's like they got a ladder, but it doesn't go north and south. It goes in and out. And, and people, look, just honest, people can hurt you. Uh, I heard, uh, oh, what was his name? One of the vineyard guys was in Adelaide years ago, and he said, you know, a lot of us shepherds are suffering from sheep bite. And uh, shepherds get hurt too. We get disappointed. People do things that hurt us. Janet was talking to God last year. She was on a sabbatical, and she said, God, how can I trust people who do that? And the Lord spoke to her, just immediately gave her a revelation, said, I never told you to trust people. I told you to trust me and love people. You don't have to trust them, just love them. Because that's the way I do. God sometimes doesn't trust us. You know, you think, he, he can't trust me with that. Well, he loves us. So then he gives us a trust and does this thing with us. And so here is your heritage. Verse 14. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth and shall spread abroad to the west, the east, the north, the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This isn't just about his heritage now. This is about his influence. This guy is a deceiver and yet God tells him he's going to have influence that will travel across the globe. That's amazing, isn't it? Do you ever wonder why you see these preachers who can preach in stadiums and then you hear about them falling? And you go, how does that work? Because the blessing of God is far above the failure of man. That doesn't mean God justifies it, but that means that God still has a purpose that goes beyond our failures, which is a good thing. Because you could be sitting there going, oh, I can't go give a, a card out to somebody tomorrow because I thought the wrong thing or I said the wrong thing or I did the wrong thing. Of course you can. You're not perfect. And he says... You know, the same thing I said to your grandfather, Abraham, I'm saying to you, Jacob, that you will influence nations. And ultimately, the world is going to be blessed through your seed. In other words, through your children. And one in particular. And he will be the Messiah. Do you realize this? The Messiah's lineage includes a deceptive man, two, two, three lying men, 
a prostitute or a whore, if you like, and a non-Jew. Go figure. Go figure. What in the world is God saying? Why didn't he just send him down from heaven in a beam of light? Kind of like Star Trek. Beam me down, Holy Spirit. Boom. Why didn't he just do that? Because God is trying to set a pattern all the way through to show you, I'm not looking for perfection. I'm looking for people. So, this is your influence. You go to verse 15. Oh, by the way, let me say this. You know, you can receive all kind of prophecies and declarations about your life, and that's all well and good, but our legacy has got to be activated if we're going to be an influence. It's not just getting a word. People go to conference, oh, I just hope I get a word, I just hope I get a word, and the, and the, the person who's prophesying is probably thinking, gee, I just hope they live this word. Activate the word. Activate your influence. Because our society needs a savior, and we are the carriers of that seed, that blessing. Verse 15. Behold, I am with you. This is an amazing thing. Why would God travel with him? Why would God be on him? The same reason he's on you and me. Behold, I'm with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I've done what I've spoken to you. Not only has he a heritage and an influence, but now he's got a promise. God's, God's plan is just so much bigger than our failures. Even in Jacob's failure, he could still recognize the presence and the promises of God. I mean, he might do some crazy things, but he still knows God. And he knows how to notice God. And at that moment, you know what he does? He stops and he goes, surely this is the house of God. And he makes an offering and he makes a vow. You get that? But he didn't do anything about it for over 20 years. When's the last time you made a vow to God? And you haven't seen it through. Can I suggest that vow is still in place? Because so many of us have the promises of God's presence and his power in our lives. God, we know you said you're never going to leave us nor forsake us. You said your power is going to be in us wherever we go. We're going to be your witnesses. And, and, and we have some kind of encounter. We meet God in a special way. Jacob had this encounter. Meet God in a special way. And it calls for us to make an offering. Oh, God, we go down to the altar. We offer something. i tell you what you need to offer is your life. All he did was pour out some oil. And he said, I'll tithe. If you will follow me everywhere I go, I'll give you 10%. What a token. I mean, I believe in tithing, but what a token. Like, I think God's presence and power is worth more than 10%. Right? So here's what happens. Too many people have an experience in a special meeting or a conference, but they walk away the same. Because even though they came to the front and they made some kind of offering, that vow wasn't deep enough to say, from here on out, I'm going to walk it. It's not the encounter at the conference that changes your life. It's the, it's the, it's the response to that with God that changes your life. Jacob didn't do that for 20 years. Isn't that amazing? There's a lot to like about this guy. Not. Okay. The revelation found in this lesson, God's purposes are higher than my failures, it opens up another lesson. So I got another one. Here it is. Grace is greater than all my sin. Now, there is a song we used to sing back in the 70s. Chris, were you a Christian in the 70s? Were you born in the 70s? 60s. You're a boomer. At what 60s were you born? Oh, you just snuck into boomer land. Now, you don't claim it? Come on. Come on. Be one of us. 
Anybody remember the old song back in the 70s about grace, grace, God's grace? Grace that will pardon. Yeah, Jana, I know you know it, honey. Grace that will pardon and forgive my sin. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all my sin. Anybody ever heard that? That's my Baptist days coming out. Okay. It's a good song. Great song. Whoever said there's no grace in the Old Testament? Whoever said grace didn't happen until the Apostle Paul? Whoever said grace is a New Testament period thing? Can you not see the grace of God at work here with Jacob? Just because the word grace isn't used doesn't mean it's not happening. Grace is definitely big here, and it's bigger than his sin. Because the story of Jacob reveals the greatness of God's sin in spite of his grandfather's sin, his father's sin, and his own sin. And by the way, guess where Jacob learned how to lie from? Not from sinful nature. He learned it from his daddy and his granddaddy. Because both of them lied explicitly about their wives to protect their own backside, didn't they? If, I, if, if, if they think you're my wife, they'll kill me so they can take you, so say you're my sister. Both of them did that. This man learned it from his parents and his grandparents. Children, look, children will naturally sin, but they will learn a lifestyle of sin by watching us. And the deal is this, sin and dysfunction is stretching all the way back to his grandparents. And yet at the same time, God's grace is bigger than that. It's greater than that. And it didn't disqualify any of them from God's purposes. And I'll tell you what altered my thinking when I read this story about Jacob. I could see myself in Jacob. I'm a sinner also. I'm not perfect. And as one writer said, there is a little bit of Jacob in each of us. I'll just fudge a little bit on that tax thing. We'll just take an under-the-table business deal. We'll just have a glance on the answers we're supposed to put on that exam. A lie is a lie. There's a little bit of Jacob in all of us. And who am I to stand in judgment of Jacob? I'm not perfect. I don't deserve God's favor. I didn't earn it. I've done wrong to God and to others. I'm human. And yet I've experienced a grace that is far greater than all my sin. Paul said in Romans 5.20, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. In other words, grace is far bigger than anything you'll ever do. Now, I need to tell you, before those of you that are strict, get on to me and saying, you're giving people a license to sin. No, I'm not. That's like saying grace gives me a license to sin, and that's not God. Because grace doesn't give me the right to sin. It gives me freedom from sin. You got it? But it's still bigger than my sin. And just because I've sinned against God and others, it doesn't mean that I'm finished, that there's no future for me and for you. I think so many Christians sit back and you disqualify yourself from going and giving out the card because maybe you didn't quite do the right thing by somebody last week. Or maybe you didn't keep that vow you made to God or that promise in an offering and you go, I can't tell somebody about Jesus, I'm a sinner. That's exactly who they need to hear, a sinner who has experienced the grace of God. They don't need some perfect model up there because they look at it and go, hypocrite. They know we're human. The difference between us and them is not that we are no longer human. The difference is that we are humans who know the power of grace. That is bigger and stronger than our sin. Grace doesn't give me permission to sin. It gives me power over sin. Okay, anyway. Anyway, anyway. I think it's a pretty good life lesson, isn't it? 
you're qualified not because you're sinless. You're qualified because you're chosen. And you're forgiven. That's what qualifies you. It qualifies you to go out there and tell somebody. Even after this meeting, when you go and stop and get coffee or petrol or whatever you do, you are qualified to talk about the grace of God. Bigger than you. So apart from God's purposes that are higher than our failures and grace that's greater than all my sin, there's, there's, there's a life lesson that I love here. And it does appear in chapter 28, chapter 32. I'm sorry. And, and it's this life, life lesson. And if you don't get this one, the others fall short. Here it is. It's simple because we're going to sing about it in a minute. I am who you say I am. Jacob learned this. What God calls me is more significant than what others call me or even what I call myself. What God says to me and about me is truth. Not based on circumstances. I can either keep thinking of myself like Jacob the deceiver or all of a sudden I can go, but God calls me Israel, prince with God. One or the other. My choice. So let's go to before we close here, Genesis 32, and read that story. It's an amazing thing. Verse 24. Then Jacob was left alone. It's nighttime. Listen, I want to say something here. Sometimes we've got to get to the darkest place that we've ever been, and we need to be by ourselves to get with God. We crowd our lives with all the electrical things that let people into our everyday moment. I am so amazed at the people who walk around with their face in this. They can't sit down and have dinner together without looking at the electronic things. Can I say something? It's a lot like money. It's a good servant, but a terrible master. You need to make that your servant, not your master. You see, I do spin class in the gym. You see people, they cannot go 45 minutes without checking Facebook. I'm going, my God, what has your life become? It's like, how ridiculous. Jacob's alone at night. He's afraid. He's running. He's in a dark hour. He's got his father-in-law behind him who he's deceived. He's got a, his brother in front of him who he's taken his life from. He can't go backwards and he's scared to go forwards. He has sent his family ahead of him thinking, well, if he kills them, maybe I'll get out of this. And so he's sitting in his tent all alone, late at night, dark, nowhere to go. Nobody to turn to. All of a sudden, can you imagine the picture? An arm reaches through the fold in the door and taps him on the shoulder. And he grabs the arm and throws him to the ground. They start wrestling. God just probably want to talk to him. But he's so deathly afraid that it's Esau or Laban that, that he jumps out of his skin and he grabs him. And he's so pumped up with adrenaline he can wrestle all night. Now, I'm telling you, our wrestling matches went, I'm trying to think, two, three, three was a maximum if you could last that long. It is the toughest sport I have ever trained for in my life because it's just you and that person out on that mat, equal strength, equal ability, all kind of things. And I, I can remember stepping out on that mat and there sometimes there'd be a thousand or more people watching you. And I didn't hear one of them. I couldn't hear the coach. I couldn't hear the crowd. All I heard was this guy and the ref who would blow the whistle. I was so pumped up with adrenaline that my body was literally shaking. So here's Jacob shaking with adrenaline. He grabs the angel of the Lord and throws him in a tent and gets him in a headlock. Can you imagine having God in a headlock? 
How ridiculous is that? So here it is, late at night. And the deal is this. Sometimes you've got to be in a nighttime season all alone, nobody to turn to, and the only one left is God. And he wrestles with him till the break of day. Is that because God couldn't beat him? Come on. Is that because they were equal in talent? You know better. Why was it? Because God wanted to see, did this guy really mean it this time? Does he mean business? You know, people, you see people who come to the altar week after week after week. Oh, God, fill me. Oh, God, fill me. Oh, God, fill me. Finally, somebody from the back goes, don't do it. Lord, he leaks. And it's like, you, you see people like, there comes a time when you get off the altar and you, you stand up filled and changed. And he wanted to know, is this your time, Jacob? And he didn't want to know it because he didn't know. He wanted Jacob to know it. Verse 25, now when he saw that he didn't prevail against him. In other words, when the Lord saw, I can't shake this guy, man. His adrenaline's gone for 24 hours, not, all right, eight hours or whatever. He touched him, boom, right in the socket of his hip. He had a limp the rest of his life because it went out of joint. Can I say to you that sometimes the presence of God is not a happy, clappy time? I don't know if you've ever had God put his heavy hand on you. And keep it there until you can't move. And he doesn't want you to move. We, we, we turned our uh, um, Sunday night service just into a seeking God time. We were in that season. All kind of things happened. I mean, we didn't engineer it. All kind of things happened. One night, this very timid lady, I, I, I want you to pray for me, but I'm afraid to fall down. I said, sweetheart, I don't need you to fall down for me to feel powerful. Sit in the chair. I said, most important thing is that you relax and receive from God. She sat in the chair, and as soon as I went to touch her, she slid off that chair like butter. I just stood there and laughed, and it wasn't the Holy Ghost making me laugh, and I just thought it was comical. But here's what happened. University student brings two of his uh, classmates in, two girls. And I'm thinking, Simon, what the heck are you doing, man? This is going to flip them out. Anyway, off we go with it. And I look over at one stage. One of the university girls is, is on the ground and can't move. It's like she's turned to stone. The other one's sitting on the bench with her mouth open. And I'm going, oh, God, here we go. So I went over later. This is going on for an hour or two, something like that. I went over later and said, what's going on? And they said, well, the girl that's on the ground, um, her parents are Salvation Army officers. And when she came to university, she backslid and she was running from God. And so the presence of God just came on her. And it's like God had his heavy hand on her and she could not move. It's like... Honey, you're coming home or else. And her friend, totally unsaved, is watching it, flipped out, gets born again. When this girl finally came to, it was obvious when the hand of God came off her, she could not walk. Took two physiotherapists to, to give her therapy and walk her around the room, one under each arm, for a half an hour before she could move properly. That was the presence of God. That was an encounter. And it was not pleasant, but it was good. So you might have an encounter with God that will cause you to limp. That's okay. He said, let me go. Day's coming. Jacob says, I'm not going to do it unless you bless me. Verse 27, so he said to him, what's your name? Isn't that interesting? God who knows everything says to Jacob, what is your name? Why is he doing this? You need to know who you are before you can really know who you're going to become. Got it? Verse 28. In other words, you, you can't play games with God. Yes, God, oh, just give me one more chance. 
Verse 28, he said, Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Because one of the names of Israel is God Wrestler. Then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name. He said, What do you want to know for? It's like God's an Aussie. Nah. What do you want to know for? He, he doesn't really say it. But the blessing was so real that Jacob knew who exactly he wrestled with. He wrestled with God. Because he called the place, the place where he met God face to face. So here's the deal. Here's my question. Who was actually looking for who? Jacob thought he was looking for Esau and going to see his face and go, Ooh, it's bad, I'm going the other direction. Can I tell you that Jacob was hiding, but God was looking. I don't know your experience, but I wasn't looking for God when I became a Christian. I, I, I grew up totally non-Christian background, and I was not looking for God in no way, shape, or form. Wasn't even interested until one of my best friends got saved. But I can tell you this, God was looking for me. And he just did not give up until I said yes. And I don't care what your theology is on this, but I will say it. Um, one author describes God as the hound of heaven. And I'm telling you, that's why he was with me. He just did not give up. I felt like this bull terrier was at my heels until he finally latched on and I surrendered. And the deal is, Jacob wasn't looking for God. God was looking for him. And that night changed his life forever. Same as what happened to me in, uh, in, at the end of 1974. The deal is this. God will come looking for you in your night time. You might think he's not there, but he's looking for you. He's right outside the door. And you could be running from someone. You could be running from something. You could be afraid of what's ahead. You could be embarrassed about what's behind. It makes no difference. God is still coming for you. And he wants to have time with you. And he wants to know, are you ready to change? Because I'll change you. I'll make you new. I won't treat you like what you've been. I'll treat you like what I see in your future. Isn't that amazing? And here's what happens. Bang. Jacob confesses the old. God gives him the new. I'm Jacob. I know. I'm a deceiver. No, you're now Israel, a prince. Isn't that amazing? Because as one writer said, a new name is almost always the symbol of a new beginning. Right? So here's the deal. Don't you find it interesting that Jacob had a distinct encounter with God 20 years before that took place at Bethel? Isn't that amazing? How patient is God? He'll wait for you, and he'll wait till you're ready to wrestle it out. And it says to me that God was committed to what he began in Jacob. Philippians 1, 6. I'm confident of this very thing. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. It says to me that God is committed to you. And it tells me that Jacob needed more than one encounter to become everything God meant him to be. You go, yeah, I walked an aisle, I prayed a prayer, I'm good. I sit there in church and nod my head and do the right thing. No, that's not your destiny. That might be a track you're on for a while, but that's not your destiny. There are more encounters that God has for you that will, that will propel you into an amazing future. And I'm not trying to build a theology of salvation that requires two separate encounters before you're genuinely saved. And I'm not trying to create a method of encounter where you strive for God's presence. You can pray all you want to and as hard as you like. That's, that's not going to make it happen. 
This story is descriptive, not pre- this story is descriptive, not prescriptive. He's describing what happened, not prescribing a method for us. But the point I'm trying to make is this, that God wants to meet with us and change us, and he'll keep coming until we surrender. And he'll pursue us even when we're not walking with him. Even if it takes several encounters at the altar, never be ashamed of that. As long as it's genuine, never be ashamed of that. Because it might be that one more that gets you through the breakthrough. And he's going to recall the vows that we've made. We might forget. We might not carry through on some things, but God does not. Ten years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, God says, do you remember when? I took that seriously. So I'm still here today, even if it's night time, I'm still here to talk to you about that. I'm still, still here to recall that. And when that happens, he'll change us. And he'll call us by a name that speaks out our future with him and for him. You're not just who you are. You are a favored, adopted child of God that he chose. He chose you long before you ever thought about him. He was after you when you weren't even thinking about heading his direction. But he had a name for you that would change your life forever. He calls you beloved. He calls you son. He calls you daughter. He calls you an inheritor of the kingdom of God. He says things about you you probably never thought could be true. But I'm telling you, he speaks it because he sees it in you. And he has planned for it in you. You need an encounter with him. That's what makes it real. That sinks within us. That we are free and that we have a name that, this, that determines our future. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.